0: My name is Arnaldo. If we haven't met, uh, I look after the gospel communities and the kids' uh, ministry here at Anchor, and I'm really excited to have you uh, with us today. Uh, if this is your first time with us, a, a super uh, extra warm welcome. I love regulars, uh, but uh, want to uh, really extend a welcome to those who may be here for the first time. We're in the uh, beginning the second half of a series that we've uh, called uh, The Story of God. And what we see in the scriptures, as we look at the whole Bible, what we see is a movement. We see God moving in different ways. And we started our series uh, with creation, where, where the Bible itself begins. And then we moved on to the fall, what we call the fall, which is where sin and brokenness entered the world through our first parents' Adam and Eve. And and that asks, you know, what went wrong? Creation asks, where did we come from? And the fall last week when Matt preached uh, for us, he he was answering the question, what went wrong? And today we'll be talking about what will fix it. Redemption. What what is actually going to uh, fix the mess that we're in? And then next week, Brad's going to come and speak on restoration. What is our hoped for future? Like, where is this all going? We are all directed people. We all live lives pointed somewhere. And the question is, where is this whole story going? And Brad's going to be wrapping up, uh, wrapping this up for us next week. But I want to remind us of what our aims and goals are for doing this. One is, uh, we want us to read the scriptures as a coherent whole. So often, we may have grown up with Bible stories, right, where we have all these Separate little stories, and we really don't know how they mix and gel together. So we want us to be able to read the Bible as one whole story. We want to look at our world additionally with a hopeful realism. When we hear things like what's happening in Aleppo and Mosul, we we can do one of two things. We can either block it out and and just think that we live in a world, uh, and we, we, we pretend that we're just hopeful by ignoring the pain in the world, or we can just look at pain in the face and have no hope for all. But what we want to see and what I want to show you here, and what we all want to show you is that we need to live as Christians in this city with a hopeful realism. Seeing the world as it is in its brokenness and pain and darkness, but be hopeful. Hopeful because it was created good. Hopeful because even though we have uh, pillaged the world in many ways, God is making all things new. And then finally, we want us to uh, uh, grow in our gospel fluency. We want us to look at the story of God and then be able to interpret other people's stories in our own stories and be able to share the gospel through story. So with that end, I want to read our text today. I'm going to be going to Romans 5, uh, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump right into it. So if you have a Bible, go to Romans 5. It should be behind me as well going to be reading from verse 1 to 11. Therefore, the word of God says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Help me pray. Father, we, uh, we, we come before you uh, humbled this morning by, by hearing about what's happening in the world. Uh, we come to you repentant, Lord, for the ways that we have presumed on you and the goodness uh, that you have shown us. So even now, Lord, we want to pray for the churches uh, that are experiencing and who are uh, 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 bearing the weight, uh, Lord, in the Middle East of uh, the destruction that is happening. We we know from Scripture, Lord, that you are, you have not forgotten them. You are a God of remembering. You are a God of hearing. You are a God of seeing. And Lord, I, I pray now that wherever you may be leading us to, Uh, alleviate suffering, that we would take on that call. And Lord, now, as we open up your word, I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would open up hearts and minds here, that those who are far from Jesus now will be drawn near by the Holy Spirit. That you would help me to forget the things that are unhelpful, but remember the things that will bring people to faith. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever heard uh, of a website called Reddit. Yeah. It's sort of like the dregs of the Internet. It, it's sort of like if it's a sink, it's that stuff that after you do the dishes is left in that you know, little sieve that you throw away. And it has, it's a very popular site. It's, it's, the, it's the 11th most visited site in the U.S. It has about 234 million uni kits per month, and it's the number 25 across the world, and it asked this question, it said, it asked this, in your opinion, what is your biggest, what's the biggest problem facing humanity? These were a couple of the answers, laziness, apathy, lack of quality education, which creates all other problems, greed, Republicans, <laughs> fundamentalism, wealth distribution, Donald, Trump, Democrats, uh, fundamentalism, over 500 channels and nothing to watch is what's really wrong with the world. Religion, the Amish mafia, was was noted there. See, because, listen, the way way that we answer that question, the, the way Matt answered that question last week, and the way we approach redemption, the way we approach how the world to be fixed is shaped and molded by what we think is wrong with it. And if we get that wrong then today makes no sense. If we think that the Amish mafia is what's really wrong with the world, then we're all going to go to Pennsylvania, and we're going to take them out, right? Because that's, that's what we do. If you think that wealth distribution is the core issue of humanity, then we're going to work hard to make sure uh, that wealth is distributed uh, properly. If you, know, if, if you think it's Republicans, well, then we're going to be Democrats. W- whatever it is, whatever... We, whatever answer we give to the question, what's wrong with the world, is going to shape how it's going to be fixed. And this is what I want to say, and I'm not going to uh, reiterate everything uh, Matt preached last week, but the deepest and most fundamental problem of the human race and this natural world is alienation from God. Now, Matt used different language, he used beautiful language, like the, 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 uh, the vandalism of shalom, the, the destruction That our sin has caused in this world but at the core the most basic problem that you have and that I have is not that you can't own a home in Sydney at this time that's not your most basic problem your most basic problem isn't your chronic pain your most deepest and fundamental problem is not your depression or your anxiety I'm not minimizing those things. I'm all for education. I'm all for fairness. All these things, though, are branches on a tree that go much deeper. And it goes all the way down to the fact, to the bare fact, that we are alienated from God, right. that we are at discord with God. And so this text, what it's going to show us, and some other texts, is, is we, we make a, a couple movements. One is we're enemies of God. But we move on to become friends of God. And finally, we become partners with God. And you know, these things, these uh, biblical themes, these stories are often, I find, uh, smuggled in into cartoons. It's as if our culture has this ghost. This ghost of redemption. This ghost in our movies and in our music that, that just burns for something to be redeemed. I was watching Moana. Uh, my, my little girl, she's two. She's got a suntan. She looks like it's great. She looks like Moana. It's the best. So, Moana's a story of this uh, Polynesian princess. Moana is her name. And, and the whole story is based around this she needs to go find this demigod, right? Maui. And what Maui has done 1,000 years ago is that he took the heart of Tafiti. And Tafiti is sort of like Mother God. And she, she uh, 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 comes out of the, 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 the seas and she blesses the earth. And what he did 1,000 years ago, he took her heart. He took her heart. And what we find in the movie is that uh, now creation is being destroyed. Tafiti now turns into this uh, demon called Taka. And the whole story is Moana trying to find Maui to bring back that heart to Tefiti so that they can be reconciled and so that the earth can flourish again. And as I'm talking with my kids, I'm talking with Anthony, who's seven, he gets it a little more than a two-year-old, I say, do you you see what you see, what I see here? This is an echo of the Bible. This is an echo of a God who, who, uh, a problem rather, that below everything else is this alienation, it's the stealing of a breaking of the heart of our creator and our sustainer. And until that heart was put back, everything was wrong. And so in the movie, you know, they couldn't fish, so they tried to uh, uh, find fish elsewhere. They, all the coconuts were rotting, so they tried to plant up new groves. And that's what we do. We see a problem like miseducation or wealth distribution. And, all, and what we do is that we, we try to manage... The symptoms. We manage our symptoms. And yet, the majority of the world hasn't seen that their problem goes much deeper. And sometimes some of us haven't realized that our problem goes much deeper. So, the first point is this, that we are enemies of God. Help me to read verse 10 once again. For while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. While you were an enemy, and, and we probably, the majority of us, or some of us at least, maybe have never heard that. Maybe you've never heard that at some point in your life you were an enemy of God. And see, we think enemies, it, it, you know, it's an active. Um, uh, 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 fighting against someone, and all we say is, "Well, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't hate God. He has his sort of business over here, and I go on about my life over here." Now, just imagine, just imagine. Uh, or maybe you don't have to imagine, but you, you were raised by some good parents. I mean, really good parents, and that's not everyone's story. They provided for you. They loved you. They cared for you emotionally, spiritually, financially, physically. I mean, they they gave you everything that you needed to flourish in life. You're 18, you leave, you never call them. They get sick, you never write them, you never see them. The people who gave you life, the people who gave you sustenance, you never see. What kind of relationship is that? That's one that says, I don't appreciate you, I don't love you, I don't need you. And that is exactly what we do. Each and every one of us here. No one's dead in this room. Did you, did you know that? No one is physically dead in this room. And every single breath that your brain tells your lungs to take is given to you by God. It's a gift. Forget about playgrounds. Forget about food. Just think about your own body. Everything that is in you has been given to you. And yet our culture says you are self-made. You're you. You made you. And yet we fail to understand that God is a giver and a sustainer of life. And yet we turn our backs on him. We are enemies with God. Verse 6 says we are weak. Verse 8 says that we are sinners, sinners. And our culture doesn't like that. See, because we, we, we tend to think that if we ever face anything negative about ourselves, we'll be stuck there, and that will become the, the end of our, the beginning and the end of our story. It's, it's sort of like this. I have a friend uh, who, uh, many years ago, he went to college in upstate New York, and he bought a car, right He's not very savvy mechanically right so he was driving along and he heard a sort of a strange noise and he thought oh maybe that's a wheel but it doesn't really matter I'm just gonna keep on driving and he he knew something was wrong he he just couldn't put his finger on it so what did he do he was driving and he was telling me he's driving and what he did to get rid of the noise to get rid of the problem was he put the music up so he's driving down the highway right into the city boom his tire explodes One day our tire is going to explode because what we do is we feel the sense of alienation and we turn our music up. We just turn it up because it will go away. But one day our tire is going to explode. When we don't realize that we are sinners, when we don't accept the bad news, we could never accept the good news. We could never accept the good news. David Benner says this If God loves and accepts you as a sinner, which our text clearly says that while you were a sinner, you were not trying to better yourself, you couldn't. Ephesians says that we are dead in our sins. That while you were a sinner, while you had no inclination whatsoever to pursue Jesus, he died for you. If God loves and accepts you as a sinner, how can you do less? You could never be other than who you are until you are willing to embrace the reality of who you are. Only then can you truly become who you are most deeply called to be. Only then, only until we look at ourselves in the mirror and we realize that we are alienated from God and that we are at war with God and that we are his enemies and that we are weak can we accept the grace that is in the cross. John 3 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have not been carried out in God, that his works have been carried out in God. Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You may have walked in here not realizing, not ever hearing, not ever having a space in your life to hear that the wrath of God is on you. And a lot of us think, no, 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 hold on, wait, wait, wait. I believe in a God of love, not a God of wrath. That's Old Testament. That's that's archaic. God is not wrathful. He, he's love. And I want to say, yes, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And wrath is not opposed to love. Let me tell you something. So I was, uh, uh, I was we were in the Gold Coast last week. We went to SeaWorld. And my little girl, who I just, oh, boy, I'm in love. Like, I just, just don't, right? And, <laughs> and so she went down a slide, right, a, a little water slide, and this kid, twice, three times her size, right? Came down after her. He should have waited. But he came down after her, bust her lip open. I mean, blood, you know, she was gushing. She's, she, don't, don't feel sorry she's a trooper. She got right back up. She went right down the slide. But though I felt angry. I was about to square up with like a four-year-old. Just wait till you have kids. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Whenever you love something, Whenever you truly love something, now the, the, that kid did it somewhere else. I don't care. Not my kid. <laughs> but when you love something, and it is vandalized, and it is hurt, if you do not get angry, I don't know if you love that thing. A lot of us here have an impulse for justice have an impulse to see things made right. And that is a light, that, that is a candle to the sun of God's fierce commitment to see his world made right. And he, so he has to be wrathful at anything that destroys shalom, that destroys his goodness. And the, the problem is we're caught in the crosshairs. So we don't like it. But if you think you can have a loving God without wrath, that is a weak and impotent God who truly does not love. Try loving anything and seeing that thing hurt. I mean, I, I have family who, you know, have been uh, drug addicts and alcoholics. And and when you see someone destroy their own life, when you see them going back again and again and again and again to the thing that is killing them, that is hurting them, that is destroying them, you'll get angry. And that anger comes out of the love that you have for this person. And ever since Genesis 3, we have been raping this world. We have been disrespecting this world. We have been pillaging this world. We have been hurting one. I mean, read Genesis 3 to 11. It is ridiculous. The spiral, you know, look at your life. Look at how you've treated people in your heart, in your mind, with your hands. We have so often been accomplices to destroying the world, and God will make it right God will make it right. And yet, listen, and yet he calls us, even while we were sinners, he calls us to be his friends. Read with me. Verse, uh, uh, back in, in Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him we have also obtained access by faith into the, his grace in which we stand and in which we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. John, uh, 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 Jesus, when he was speaking to his boys in, in John chapter 15, he says this, he goes, A servant doesn't tell, uh, sorry, a master doesn't tell his servants his business, but I'm going to call you friends. You're my friends. And through reconciliation and through being loved by God, even while we were yet sinners, he calls you friend. He calls you friend. And listen, before we get into the cross specifically, we need to know this, that we are sitting and we are stepping on a mysterious abyss here. There are not enough books. There's not enough ink. There's not enough paper. There are not enough words to explain Fully and finally, what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. 1 Peter says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Listen to this. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, who, uh, Spirit sent from heaven. Listen, things to which angels long to look. Get this. Yeah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Heaven, chilling, right? Loving each other, perfect unity, perfect relationship. They come up with this plan. And angels who serve them, who, who are in the presence of majesty and glory, they're sort of trying to peek in. What's, what are they doing? Like, what's their plan? Angels who, if we would see them now, if one were to appear, we would be tempted to worship it, are peering in. You know, trying to look through the keyhole or putting their ear with a glass, you know, to the door, and saying, "Oh, how I wish, how we wish, we could, we could see what they're planning and what they're doing." And this has been given to us freely. So, if it is such a great thing that even angels long to look into, we tread with humility, uh, but we tread with and, and, and reverence. But we tread because the scriptures give us reason to talk about and glory and, and 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 lift up the cross. So, why the cross? Why did Jesus have to die? We read again and again and again and again and again and again that Jesus died for our sins. Apostles Creed: Jesus died for our sins. Why did he have to die? Isn't it interesting? It says, uh, you know, that, that at the right time this happened. Galatians 4.4, 4, in the fullness of time this happened. Isn't it interesting that a couple weeks ago when I spoke on creation, God opens his mouth and things happen. And yet this wonderful redemption took thousands of years to unfold. Why the cross? Why blood? Why did Jesus have to be whipped with a cat and nine tails? Why did he have to have his beard plucked out? Why is it that Isaiah says that, that whoever, you know, the, the person hanging on the cross has hardly semblance of a man? Why blood? Two reasons. Because God is holy. Now, if you've been In church, for any number of years, you may have heard that before. And it may be falling a little deaf on your ears. But God is holy. Whenever you see a person, a mortal, come into the presence of God, this is what you hear. Woe is me. Isaiah, when he had a vision, in Isaiah 6, when he had a vision of, of, of the temple... Woe is me. Let me die. I'd rather die than be in the presence of God right now because I am someone of unclean lips living among a people of unclean lips. God is holy. He is other. He's not like you and me. He is transcendent. He is majestic. He is the only thing, if we can even categorize Him is a thing that is completely self-sustaining. You and I need breath and food and support and help and shelter, and God is not like that. God is holy, and in his presence there can be no sin. In his presence he gets, he's furiously committed to loving you in such a way that you flourish. And what sin does, it it vandalizes that. It sabotages that. God is holy. And so he requires something to be done about this sin. And there are two options here. Two options. We pay the debt of our sin or He does in the body of Jesus. But not only that He is holy, but He is loving. In fact, He is love. And on the cross, Jesus shows us. He shows you. See Him. Picture Him. He shows you how much He loves you. He's on the cross and the nails did not hold Him. I mean, I don't know if you remember uh, the latest Superman, before the terrible Batman and Superman, the good one, and they arrest him, they arrest Superman, the government arrests Superman, and he's, you know, walking with, with his handcuffs, you know, guns cocked, everyone's, you know, on edge, and he gets into the, uh, uh, to the interrogation room, and he sort of just gets up and snaps them. Those handcuffs weren't holding him. Those nails were not holding Jesus. What was holding Jesus in his mind's eye, each and every one of us, the billions and billions of people, was a picture of you. And love kept Jesus on the cross. Love kept Jesus on the cross. Nails could not hold. He, he, he said, Listen, if I, I could call down a legion of angels right now and square, like square up for real, these Roman soldiers ain't got nothing on me. And yet, because he wanted to offer us a relationship, because he wanted to make this world right, starting with you, Christ died for us. And, and, and what do we get? We're justified by faith. And what does that mean? That means, you know, when, when we think about justifications, it's, it's a big sort of term that's thrown around. But think simply of it. When, when you're writing a Word document and you justify the, the margins, it's just being made straight, being made right. And we are made right with God by faith. We are made right by faith. So you don't leave here today and you say, okay, well, I got to get my act straight. You know, I have to start reading my Bible, which is you should. I need to start coming to the gathering and GCs and triplets and I need to stop doing X, Y, Z. And yes, fine. Sure. But you need to know that that will not make you right with God. You could do nothing to be made right with God. You could do nothing to be justified by works, by something that you do. We must be justified by faith. And faith is simply a gift given to us so that we can look at Jesus and say, yes, yes, yes. We're justified by faith and we have peace with God. A lot of our lives are not marked by peace. And so often, the, the root of that is because we have not appropriated, we have not taken hold of the reality that justification by faith gives us peace with God. We have access by faith into his grace. And, and the prob, uh, uh, so, so a lot of the problem for us is that we don't understand that we need it. We don't see our plight. We don't realize that the wrath of God was once on us. And that the reality that we can spend an eternity in whatever hell, whatever you think hell is. Go to, that, you, know, you go to Aleppo, you go to that. Mos- that is hell on earth. Imagine that magnified. I don't know what hell looks like. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know where it's going to be. But each and every one of us had a ticket. And our generation generally uh, tends to balk at that our generation tends to even in in a lot of churches will say well we won't we won't touch that but until you realize that you were snatched from hell by his grace because he loves you we won't appreciate it's a little something like this just imagine and I've, i've heard this before just imagine you're away on vacation and you come home, and you know that your neighbor paid off a bill for you. He, he, he paid it off. He didn't call you. He didn't ask you. Now, if this was just your internet bill, 70 bucks, you, you know, thank you. Thanks. You know, you go over to him, you know, make him some cookies, whatever. If it was a speeding ticket, you know, 250, however those are going for nowadays, you, you're a little more thankful. Thank you. Wow, you shouldn't have done that. Your light bill, 800 bucks? Wow. What if? What if he had a bill that came through for a million dollars and he paid it off? Now, if you don't know the difference between a $60 bill and a million dollar bill, that, 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 that doesn't shape how thankful you should be. And what we need to understand is that we were under the wrath of God. And even while you were an enemy, he saved you. He loved you. He died for you. And we should be ever Ever, ever so grateful. But sometimes it gets lost on us. But check this out. We also have the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, when God gathered a people in Israel, and they were in the desert, they had a place to meet with God called a tabernacle. And it was a movable tent. And every couple of months, whenever God's presence would move somewhere else, they'd have to pack down and go somewhere else. Open it up, pack up. Down, up, down. I mean, this is like bumping on steroids. Crazy. Like, whichever tribe was on that month, like, oh. I got that email. It's a beautiful thing, and thank you for serving us that way. But now it says that you are the tabernacle. That God dwells in you by faith because you have been justified by his blood. And we are reconciled by God by the death of Jesus. And at 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 the heart of the cross is substitution. At the heart of both sin and the cross is substitution. This is what John Stott says. The concept of substitution may be said to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man's substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives that belong to God alone, God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. At the heart of sin is this, is us saying to God, I want to be God. I can figure out for myself what is best for my life. And I'm going to go on and do it. You give yourself, listen, it's hard to say this in this culture because we all seem to think we're just a little better than we really are. It's hard to hear that you're not all that. It's hard to hear that you are not the captain of your ship. You were not, you are not self-created. You are created. You were created good. You were created by a good creator, God, and he has given us the ability now, even after we have screwed up, to live according to the kingdom of God, to live in peace, to have peace with God and each other. And so salvation is not just about me and Jesus over here in the corner, Salvation doesn't just bring us peace with God, but it brings us peace with one another. There are people here who are vastly different from one another. Different socioeconomic statuses, different relationship statuses, different ethnicities and countries and cultures. And the the, the core thing that brings us together is not that we we find some similarities. The core thing is the gospel. The core thing is that you and I now are brothers and sisters. You know, when when Jesus' family thought he was going nuts, right? His mom and his brothers were outside looking for him. They say, all right, Jesus, that's uh, that's enough of the Messiah complex now. Let's go home. And they go inside and and they say, hey, your mother and your brothers are here to, to pick you up. There's some guys in white coats as well. And he goes, "My mother and my brothers, these are my mother and my brothers, Those who do the will of God, those are my mother and my brothers." And so we now share in the gospel and we share with, in peace, not with only with God, but with one another. So salvation is not just about me and Jesus, but we are brought into a family together, a family of missionaries. And so we move from enemies of God to friends with God to friends of God, and now partners with God. It's a little something like this. Just imagine if you were in a, uh, uh, you were mining, you were in a mining accident. And the only way, the only way that you can all be saved is by someone being selected and being propped up to go out and go find help. Just imagine if you were the person who's chosen, right? You get out, there's 15 of your, you know, your friends down there, your coworkers, you get out, you go home, you have a shower, turn on Netflix, chilling. I got out. I'm good. I'm done. I'm saved. And what we do often is that we look at the benefits of salvation, this justification by faith, this peace with God, this peace with one another beyond race and gender and sex and orientation, beyond all those things, we have peace with one another. We look at the benefits, and yet we forget that we are also We also become partners with God. It's not only benefits, but responsibility. Redemption does not end with us. Redemption flows through us. It's not only a privilege, but a responsibility. We're not only saved, but we're sent. Redemption sends us. Read this in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. He was bringing peace. Not counting their trespasses against him. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, therefore, see, because we have been saved. Because we have been reconciled with God. Because he did not count my sins against me. Or your sins against you. Because of that. Because of this beautiful truth, what happens? Therefore, we are ambassadors. You are sent. You are a sent people. We are a sent people. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for, why? For our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have been substituted. You and I belong on the cross. And yet he went there for us. Howard Snyder says this about the atonement, about and the atonement is this term that, that it, it, it denotes being at one, bringing together again what was separated. Jesus' atonement through his death and triumphant resurrection is a cosmic historical act through which all creation is redeemed. Potentially and partially now, and fully when the kingdom comes in fullness, justification is a Trinitarian, that's Father, Son, Holy Spirit act of cosmic proportions that is based in the Father as the one who creates and elects, in the Son as the Redeemer, and in the Spirit as the giver of life. Redemption does not end with you, but flows through you. And what this means is that we are not only saved, but we are sent. But additionally, additionally, it's not uh, uh, just about humanity. Redemption redeems all of creation. Every last inch. And this is why your work is so incredibly important. This is why engaging with culture is so incredibly important because God is making all things new, not just our hearts, but our bodies. One day we'll have new bodies, and I know a lot of us are, you know, some of us are pretty happy with the ones we got, not in that club. (laughs) I'm just saying. And we're yearning, we're yearning for new bodies. We're yearning to see that redemption that was enacted in Jesus, that new creation that was brought forth in Jesus spread to every inch of the universe. Romans 8. Romans 8 says this, 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's you and I. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now and not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we were saved now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we wait for it with patience some of us are frustrated with our redemption. Some of us, we need to learn what it is to wait for the full redemption to be revealed one day, which, which is what Brad's going to be speaking of. There's still going to be war. There's still going to be sin. The, I've heard it said before that What the cross does right now is that it cancels the penalty of our sin. You no longer, listen, you no longer have to hold that on your shoulders. You need to know that in Christ you are forgiven. That even while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And a lot of times this is what I think it looks like. I think Christ died for me, you know, for the sins up until I was about 18. And then I sort of had to handle the rest. He died looking at everything I have ever done. Everything I will ever do. And he looked at me in the face and said, I love you. He looked at me in the face and he said, I love you. And I want to tell you today that your redemption is not complete. We're still waiting for the fullness of it to be revealed. So we need each other. We need each other to remind one another, say, hey, the fullness of redemption will be revealed. But right now, you're justified in Christ. Right now, you have peace with God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Right now, we can taste this redemption. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you right now are an enemy of God. If you walked in here not believing in Jesus, I want to invite you. And I want to implore you, like Paul told the Corinthians, I implore you. I beg you. Be reconciled to God. Because on in, in the life of Jesus, he lived a life that we could never live. And he died the death clearly we have seen that you and I deserve. And I implore you, be reconciled to God. There's going to be a prayer team just at the back. I'll be available as well. To, to Maybe, maybe. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit has been waking you up. I pray that today you have seen the glory and the beauty of the cross, that disgusting, vile weapon of torture. And you find life there because that's yours and he took it for you. So maybe you're there. Maybe you're a friend of God, but you haven't realized that that your friendship also calls you to be an ambassador for him. So I invite you, This time now to set our minds on things that are above and to rely on the Holy Spirit and to realize that we have been not only saved but sent. And that in the cross, everything that we deserved from your first sin to your last has been forgiven and can be forgiven if you would just come. If you would just come just come empty-handed, if you would just come and not say, like the son in Luke 15, not come say to God and say, okay, I know I messed up, but but let let me do this to make it up. And what's going to happen? Even if you try to do that, even if you try to come to God and say, okay, what can I do? Before you know it, the family ring is going to be on your finger. Your old dirty clothes will be taken off for you. A beautiful robe will be put on you because he loves us and he bought that for us. You want to be part of something big? You want to be part of something that is going to transform this world? You want to be part of God recreating this entire universe in justice and love, this is it. Be reconciled to God and follow him. Father, we we thank you. are for us in Christ, we thank you that we have been justified by faith by the blood of Jesus Christ, that your wrath, your just and measured wrath that flows out of your love has been placed on Jesus And we no longer have to bear that penalty because you have substituted yourself in Christ for us. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you move. You move not because I am anything, but because you are everything. You move because you delight in seeing sinners turn from their ways and submit their lives to you. You move because you are good. You move because you are glorious. You move. Because you are holy. You move because we need you to move. Where there is brokenness in this room, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will meet us and visit us in that brokenness. Where there is alienation from you, Lord, I pray that you visit us there. Where there is sin, I pray that you heal us and instill us with a hope that transcends everything in this world, anything that. in Christ we no longer have to bear the shame